What's going on, everyone? It's episode 96. Yes, we are 96 deep into Fumble Podcasts. Don't forget, hit the subscribe button. It'll help me a lot. Um, follow me, Pejdomaniac, on all my platforms. I have an uh, awesome guest for us today. Uh, I had the distinct pleasure of meeting her um, at uh, the Heart Depot or the Heart Department um, this last uh, Sunday. Um, in Los Angeles, and uh, we, um, she gave a heartfelt um, recollection of her story, and um, I, I don't think there was an, a better way or a more fitting way, I should say, for the event to come to a close, which was only followed by a very spectacular fire show, uh, which you guys saw on my IG Live, if you follow me on Instagram. Um, Without further ado, let me give her her proper uh, intro. Um, born to feminists, activists, and artists during Iran's 1980 to 1988 war, uh, Marjan immigrated to the Los Angeles area in the spring of 1995, uh, which I want to talk about um, briefly. I con she continues to live uh, and curate alternate, uh, alternately between Tehran and L.A., uh, her practice is informed by this context of movement and flexible citizenship across both geographical and cultural spaces uh, and the multiple realities these spaces engender. In 2007, after assisting with the uh, MOCA or MOCA WAC exhibition and graduating from Otis, uh, she packed her four suitcases, two carry-ons, and two computer bags full of art and traveled to MOCA Tehran to curate manifestations of contemporary arts, which is what that stands for, in Iran. Uh, this uh, feminist exhibition featured works from 67 Iranian and American artists. Uh, I give you Marjan Bayan. Thank you for joining Fumble Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, let's start with Born to Feminists. So let's talk about that. Uh, in the 80s, of course, because that was in during the war. Um, it was the Iraq-Iran war, of course, we're just we're referring to. Um, and uh, yeah, talk about the your experience growing up as a, as a little girl during that time in Iran. I think the biggest feminists I met were first my father and grandfather. And and. And as well as my grandmother and my mother and my aunt and everyone in my family, it was really beautiful that even though I was born during the middle of a war, they made it very clear to me that just because I was born a little girl, it didn't make me any less of a human. And they encouraged me to question absolutely everything. And thankfully, I was born to a family of artists who shared all of their art supplies with me. Apparently, the day after I was born, literally, I was one day old. In the middle of a war zone, my parents took me to the park and my dad had my head in his palm of his hand and he was walking around the park introducing me to the world and going, baby girl, that's a tree, that's a cat, that's a fountain. And apparently everyone at the park was laughing at him of like, oh, it's just a baby, doesn't understand anything, look at this fool. 
And my mom was getting embarrassed. And my dad was like, I don't care. I want this little girl to get the lay of the land. I want her to know who she is, where she is, and what's going on. <laughs> and my very first memory is, is coming online to tears. I don't know why I was crying, but I was crying. And I had a beak pen in the palm of my hand and I was holding it like this and that beak pen was making an indent in the palm of my hand and I was just dragging it on a stack of newspapers like crying and throwing a fit and I came online to and I think I was like a year and a half two years old and I came online to my grandfather saying baby girl it's okay it's okay I get it you were an artist born to a family of artists you want to be able to draw you want to write it's bullshit that you can't draw on right now. And if you just help me, like help you show you how to hold a pen, you will get a lot closer. So it was beautiful that I was, even though there was a war zone outside and maybe because there was a war zone outside and I was born right in the middle of it, my family had come together and as the only child and only grandchild, I was the luckiest little girl in the world because I had the world in a family full of artists and activists and feminists that never made me feel like less than for, and you know, in Persian culture, I hear that there is a very strong Pesadam, Pesadam culture, but in my family, it, it wasn't like that. It was, everyone was a human being and I, I never felt like a second class citizen ever. That's that's exactly how it should be. Uh, I should start with that because um, your family, based on the little you just said, it screams to me that they are changing culture. They're changing this narrative that you're right. Un uh, unfortunately, there is this notion that uh, it, it's cultural uh, It's cultural brainwashing, if you ask me. It, it happened o over time. Uh, and I would say it happened before the revolution even. It, it happened, the, the first revolution, of course. The devolution is what I call it. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's true, and I've seen it. Um, I've seen it with people closer to me, uh, with family members and their sons and their kids. I I have an older sister. I'm lucky to have an older sister because she uh, she was tough on me growing up, um, and uh, but it did it did teach me to respect women on, and it did teach me to look at women in a different light than what otherwise was advertised. You know, and um, uh, I've never been one to kind of go with the grain anyway. I've always kind of been like, what does it really mean for me? And if something didn't sit well with me, I would investigate it. I would get go deeper into it and be like, why? Why do I not feel at ease with this when all these other people around me are just going with it? And I know half of them don't even like it, but they're doing it just because it's expected. What the majority of the room is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I. I I've I've definitely alienated myself more than uh, than my fair share from that mentality. But uh, anyway, it's not about me. My point is absolutely that's that's beautiful. What a progressive grandfather and father you had during that time. Uh, how beautiful for that to for for them to be so strong and and go against the wind, go against the 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 grains of that time, especially in Iran, which would the, all the turmoil and the war and all that. So uh, bless your family. Uh, from the bottom of my heart. Um, I want to talk about your eventual journey in 90, 1995 because I told you over uh, Instagram that I also moved here in 
to Maryland, the East Coast, uh, but you moved to Los Angeles um, in 1995. So we came here and sent here. Uh, but I'm curious what your experience was and what made that decision for you to move move to L.A.? Well, and again, I, I want to clarify that feminism to me and my family just means women are people, too. I know that now there's like a weird, so I, I want to be very clear. <laughs> <laughs> there is different levels to it. I understand. <laughs> yeah. And in this whole women are people, too, and they get to have rights and they get to question things and they get to have a life. My father, especially, was very belligerent about you are a person, you get to question things, you have rights, you do not get pushed around in this segregation that is taking place, like between the genders in this country, you be you. But going to an all girls school, every time I questioned something, it was my mother who would get called at the school and scolded for her little girl being too mouthy. <laughs> and I remember one day, or like I would draw like our first grade test for drawing. I drove, I drew Padvina Itesami, and they called my mother in for that. Like I would write and it, it was just like, I would get, my mom would get called in. The poor woman would get called in for everything. And she's like the loveliest Persian mom in the world. Like she's quiet. She's amazing. She's a great cook. Like she's just amazing goddess. Mm. Um, she's just a magical goddess. And she would get called in every day <laughs> because I would be mouthy. And then she would get in. They were like, if your daughter was just a little bit like you, we wouldn't have a problem with her. And well, was your mom was your mom quite the the type to just take take the no 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 but my mom is very much like she'll know when to argue and when the other person is an absolute like evil belligerent islamic republic toting like she she won't argue like she she will suffer no fools and i remember in 2009 we were at neda Sultan's funeral uh, on her gravesite, and I begged my mom to take me. And she was like, no, 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 no. Like, if you wake up early, she finally took me. We get there. I get out. I'm expecting to, like, wear a cute shirt, throw up peace signs, be at a protest that I'm like, here, I'm, I'm used to this kind of protest. I get there. It's hot. It's on top of open graves. People are, like, protesting and going, we know you're killing us. We know you're kidnapping us in the dead of night. We know you're shoving us in these mass graves. We're here cutting you the trip, like kill us now. And I'm like, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of my MAPhD program at UCLA. I literally have three dissertations. I don't have time to die. And my mom looks at me with like a level of like disappointment and goes, all right, baby girl, you sit here, I'll be back. Don't eat anything. Don't touch anything. Don't go with anybody. Just sit here. I'll be right back. And there was like a line of young guys that were just getting kidnapped. They were just like grabbing them and like beating them up. And it was almost as if they were all standing in school line waiting to get kidnapped. My mom gets there, grabs the next person that's supposed to get kidnapped, pushes them around, turns them around and goes that way. And then starts yelling at the other ones going, get him. And she starts organizing people. So like, no, my mother is a shirzan and a badass. But when she's getting called into a school at an Islamic Republic place and my um, Quran teacher, Miss Shahabi, used to beat the ever loving shit out of me. So my mom would come in to argue and be like this woman, like raise her hand on my little girl. And then they would be like, yeah, we know she does that to everyone. But the thing is, because she's a Quran studying teacher, 
we can't say anything about that because if we do, then we will be marked anti-Islamic and then the school will get in trouble. So my mom had already had the lay of the land. She had tried to argue with these people and she knew it wasn't going to go well. So she would get called in and she'd be like, okay, so it's my job to sit here and have them tell me that my daughter is belligerent. And then she would just sit there hearing them out, try to tell them my side of it. And then we would leave. And then as soon as we would go outside, she'd like grab my hand and she'd be like, and I remember she used to be like, we're best friends. I have your back. I am so proud of you. And I'd be like, mommy, I'm so sorry they called you. And she's like, whatever, they call you in every day. I'll walk with you every single day. I'm proud of you. You keep getting them called in. So she always had my back. But it was just Mm -hmm. so anyways, we would come home and then my dad and my mom and my grandparents and my aunt, they would like have this like circle thing of like, she got in trouble again. They're trying to tell her to shut up. And then they would be like, you don't shut up. We're going to be fine. And I remember my dad at some point was like, forget this. He went to Turkey. He checked it out. He came back with a bunch of toys, like a whole bunch of like sound toys and awesome stuff. And he was like. I checked it out. The whole Islamic Republic thing is kind of making its way to Turkey, too. That's not far enough. <clears throat> then he came to Germany and he was like, it's a wee bit li- racist because we are Azadi Iranian. So he was like, they don't really like Turkish people and she speaks it. So like that might not be great for her. And then he came to L.A. And I remember being at my grandparents place when my dad called me and, and they and he was like, hand her the phone. Hand Marjorie on the phone. I have very important business to discuss with her. And it was hilarious. Even as a child, they would like treat me like an adult. I always had a seat at the table. And she was and he was like, baby girl, I found the city. It's full of people just like you. Everybody's an artist. They're all excitable. They're all just like you. I found your city. It's going to take six months, but we're going to come here. I found your city. So coming to L.A. was not an accident. My dad literally traveled the world till he found the place where my special brand of belligerence would not only be accepted, I wouldn't feel alone in it. So it was intentional. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I just want to say one thing. You call it belligerent. And I feel like that has a negative connotation to it. And I want to say it's bravery. And it's you being a full experience of a human being, um, which you deserve and you are, and and just like anybody else. Um, and how dedicated are are your parents to you, to your success, to the to making sure that you get the most out of this life, right? And 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 pursue exactly what you are passionate about the positive reinforcement, all of that um, <laughs> without getting emotional is very, it was re- very rare to me. You saw me at, at the, um, at the event. I'm a musician. I started off with the song. I'm a comedian. I'm, I'm an actor, but I'm also 37 years old. So it, I've pursued comedy and acting at starting at 33 years old. So it was like, there was a lot of part of my life, me just figuring my shit out. I didn't know what, what was the right thing for me to do. My heart was always in comedy and, and acting, but I never talked about it for obvious reasons, as you, you can probably guess. <laughs> um, it was just not really uh, the best word I can think of to describe it. My, it wasn't a, uh, uh, I guess, 
my I'm forgetting my English now, but it was it wasn't really like tashvig nemishlam, you know, like it, I wasn't really uh, <laughs> um, pushed to, to pursue it. Um, it. My my dad and mom were musicians. They they as you know uh, they learned by ear. They they actually met through music, so they were cool with that. Yeah, it, so they were cool with that. Um, and I, I I got my music degree and all that, and and I still I still work in music. I I love music. It's always gonna be a part of my life. Um, comedy though is my calling and, and acting. I just I feel like a very deep connection to it. So anyway, point of all of me saying that long story longer is that uh, I had to discover it on my own to to fight against the grain like you have been your whole life. Um, so I learned bravery. You know, I learned I had to learn it. Um, and I think I got comfortable in the complacency until I was depressed and I wasn't happy anymore. And I'm like, okay. Something needs to change. So I, I ended my marriage. I ended all of that. And I flipped my life around. And I was like, I'm going for this. No excuses. Uh, if it's scary, that's the right move. Uh, I told myself, if it's scary, I'm supposed to do it. You know, that, that, so that's my motto now. But anyway, I'm, I'm just so uh, excited that I got the opportunity to meet you as a result of me showing up and facing my fears and being like, you know what? I'm going to do stand-up comedy in front of a bunch of Iranians. I've never done that before, but I'm going to do it because, you know, up here in little Sacramento, I, you know, the most of my audience are non-Iranians. So um, it was a good challenge. I loved it and um, I had fun. And I like to think people received me in a positive light. And um, but back to you, because you mentioned um, in this in the story about your mother, how uh, at Netta's funeral, what ended up happening. And um, that was the story you started talking about on Sunday. And I'm really curious if you're open to sharing any part of that uh, more in depth, because that was something that's happening to many women um, and their supporters and children, of course, uh, right now in Iran, which is exactly why Iranians all over the world are screaming for help because uh, this IRGC terrorists are rampaging that country uh they're destroying the people um and for the first time the world is seeing it because of the internet and uh it gives me hope but um i brought marjan on to, today because i wanted you guys to get a first-hand um story from a person who's <clears throat> been through this sh this shit and has survived it like a champ and has come here to, sh and she shares it unapologetically. And I, I would love for you to um, enlighten my audience on what it really was like to deal with these terrorists. First of all, the Islamic Republic of Terror can try to break people all day long. All they're doing is making us strong. Being kidnapped by them twice in my life has made me happier has made me grateful for my joy, has made me more belligerent or brave, or however you want to call it. It's made me more appreciative of my life. And I am more grateful for every second that I get. Having someone try to take your life away and gang rape you in the back of a car with its doors welded shut, if you can get out of that, it doesn't... I guess it could break you. And it did for a while. I sat in my closet and cried about it for about a decade. 
and even Sunday, I don't know what took over. Like I was just sitting there. We were enjoying the show. It was really beautiful. We we're about to go see a fire show. And I don't know why I just got up. I went up there. I talked for a couple of minutes and then I went to the bathroom and I cried for six minutes. I, I cried in the bathroom three times longer than I spoke up there. So, and I don't know why I did any of it because nobody made me. I was just sitting there, I just volunteered to go up there. And I was just going to be like, yeah, you're on for all the people who aren't here. And then I got into for all the people and why they wouldn't be here. And it was scary, but I don't know. I, I feel like it goes back to the reason why we moved here. Like my grandparent, my grandmother and my aunt made all of my clothes when I was younger. I would design them. And when we moved here at nine years old, I started making all of my own clothes. And I still make all of my own wackadoodle outfits that I'm proud of. And I remember That's going amazing. to school and my mom's friends would see me walking to school and they would call her and be like, oh, we saw Marjorie walking to school. She had this long fabric dragging behind her in the street. She looked odd. And my mom would be like, yes, I know. I saw her. Like, it's not like she goes out the door normal and then is like different. She makes all of her own outfits herself. Do your children make their outfits themselves? Because she's talented and we're proud of her. So even when we went to Iran, it's always been so weird. There's been this like cognitive dissident of like what I'm allowed to do and what my parents are supportive of and what just being outside entails in Iran. So it's kind of weird just getting in trouble for being me out there and then trying to justify myself and be like, oh, well, I bought this fabric here and this happened there. And the first time I got kidnapped, it was in 2007. And it was when I was in Mocha Tehran curating that exhibition that I was extremely proud of. I was extremely proud of that show. So to get kidnapped over it, it was I didn't understand. It was something I was proud of and they were pissed at me and it was the moral police. And it was the first time I'd ever had an encounter with the moral police. And I remember when they called me over, I looked at my two cousins and their cousin being like, oh, I got this, whatever. And I started walking over to be like, oh, I'm going to go over there and talk to them. Because with my family, growing up, if I ever wanted something, <clears throat> the only way I would forfeit it was to cry. Then I wouldn't even get a chance. But if I wanted something, I would give them a list of 10 reasons why I should have it and 10 reasons why I shouldn't have it but why I should have it anyways. So I was just walking up to them like, oh, I can talk my way out of anything. Like whatever their problem is, well, we'll solve it. And by the time I got closer and closer and closer, I realized that these women wearing a full entrador who was, she was choking a university girl by her magna against the car and calling her all of these terrible names, all of these immoral names. And while she's choking somebody in her uniform, in her school uniform. And as soon as I walked up, she let go of her, threw her in the van and then turned around. And I was walking up like all brave because I didn't know what I, it was the first time I'd ever seen the moral police. That was in 2007 when they first started. And I only go to Iran for like three or four months out of the summer for the summer. So like, I didn't know what I was getting into. And as soon as I got closer and closer and I saw all of the women crying in the back of the van who looked like they had been beaten up and they did not look okay, my knees started shaking and buckling. And by the time I got there and she went to put her hands on me, I was like, oh, I like, don't hit me. Like, whatever you want, I'll just do it. Like, I broke as I approached her. And then she was like, okay, just get in the van. 
I got in the van, my cousin's cousin jumped in the van with me. And then my two cousins tried to jump in and they were like, no, 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 this isn't a taxi service. Like follow us. And that was another thing. Like, I don't think what I do is bravery. I think I'm just ignorant of the consequences. Bravery was my cousin's cousin who jumped in and the other two who were willing to self-arrest and they knew what the moral police was and they were jumping into it. That's why I'm saying I don't think the Islamic Republic can break Iranian women. Because Iranian, we have Charsham Basuri. Are you kidding me? What other culture has an entire festival about jumping in and out of fires? You're going to come at us with that mess? Get out of here. That's right. So anyways, we got in the van. I started crying and shaking. And my knees were doing one of these things where my knees were shaking. As this lady was picking off, I I wear a lot of sparkles. I make everything I wear and I make a lot of sparkly things. She was pulling off the sparkly things off of my shoe and I put on nail polish. I like drawing, including on my nails. So she was basically saying, half the Zartoman for the nail polish, this for that. She was just going up and like listing all of my crimes, which were apparently nail polish and sparkles. And as she was pulling the sparkles off of my shoes and screaming at me, as she touched my feet, I have mirror touch synesthesia. I can feel people's feelings, but I don't know what I'm feeling. And as she was touching my toes, I could like feel her just like anger and like hate. And just, I was just, I started shaking. I started having a negative reaction. I started shaking. So then she started screaming. And my cousin was like, my cousin's cousin was like, stop screaming at her. Like, that's not helping. It was like, well, okay, you either... And then she smacked my cousin for speaking back. And then she said, make her stop shaking or I'm going to start beating the ever loving shit out of her. So my cousin just like looks at me with a handprint on her face after her getting slapped. And I just grab my knees so I can stop my knees. But now my entire body's convulsing. I wasn't able to make my knees stop shaking. Now that I'm holding onto my knees, my entire body's shaking. Then they pull over to take uh, kidnap this other woman who is wearing like full on makeup. Like she's basically like, yeah, come for me. I don't care. Like she doesn't have her scarf on. She's wearing a cute outfit. She's like dressed to the tens. Like she's gorgeous, like heels, like beautiful. She looks like her, her clothes were spray painted on her. Like she's just like she's like Iran is a runway and she's like catwalking it. Like I wish a motherfucker would. <laughs> she was that girl. And they like they were like spun around. They're like, she is the reason why we're here. And they go to pick her up and she goes, yes, <laughs> like you're here for me. I did call for you. I'm glad that I sent for you. So she's basically like mouthing off to them going like, yeah, I expected this. I, I wanted a ride. Come, come get me. Like you can't handle all this. And it's beautiful watching her talk back to them. And then they go to kidnap her. And then they realize my cousin Took, my cousin's cousin took the last spot. They they don't have room for her. So the other girl's almost disappointed that she's not getting arrested. So again, back to you cannot break your Iranian women. She was bummed out that she wasn't going to kidnapped that day. So anyways, wow. we go to this place with this metal gate. As soon as we get there, my two cousins are already outside the metal gates. Like this on their phones going like, yeah, they got marriage on grandma looking not deserving of even being called those names marriage on as 
as if she'd be that talented. So <laughs> she's basically roasting me and them for not knowing what they're doing. They open these giant metal gates with guys with army guns and everything inside. And they're not letting my cousins in. So my cousin Shalash literally body slams a guy with a gun and goes, get out my way. <laughs> if you're bringing in here, you're coming in. And Shadi's like, you better step out of my big sister's way. <laughs> and then they're all like, what is happening? They're like, what's happening is in that van. You guys have a giant baby that has no idea what's happening, but good for her, the three of us too. Our other cousins in there too. So the van pulls up, they literally come up as they open the door and their procedure was to beat people up, grab them by the hair, pull them out, like dehumanize them. My cousins get in the way. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And they start telling them what they're about to do to us. And they start screaming it. And they look inside the van. They're like, Natas, you know, in the van, they're so my cousins are standing there replaying what the moral police is about to do to everyone in the van. And a couple of people in the van start giggling. And everyone in this underground army base is getting upset because the entire, the entire system is set up to terrorize you and scare you. And my cousins are like, here's the playbook. This is going to happen and that's going to happen. And they can't do shit. We've already told everybody where everybody is. We've dropped locations. There are people coming to get you all. You're all very lucky because you had that one baby in there. There are people coming for all of you. So they're basically like, so they're losing their ever loving mind. They get me out. And then like the lady like is just like pissed off because she's supposed to be scaring people. Now half the van is laughing. I'm like the only big baby start crying. They open the door. They go to grab people. My cousin Shalayev pushed them away. Shadi comes in and does this cute little hand of like, baby girl, let me help you out. And I'm like, and I hold her hand and she brings me out and her cousin comes out. And then every person that gets out turns around and gives a hand to the last person behind us. So everyone in the van gets a happy hand. Welcome into the underground army base. We go inside. Um, we go inside. The thing is, they strip you of all of your clothes. They go, the moral police has gotten you because your clothes were immoral. So they strip you naked. And then your family has to bring you a change of clothes and your passport. And they have to give you, give them your passport in exchange for you. And then you have to go to court and all of these things. <clears throat> so we get there and they start stripping everybody and they go to take my clothes. And I'm like, I'm not taking my clothes off. Like I'm not taking my clothes off here. Like it's an underground army base. You're all these guys around. I'm not taking my clothes off here. And then they're like, see, this bitch can't even pretend to be immoral. <laughs> you guys got the wrong one. And then they're like, take her clothes off. If, if she doesn't take her clothes off, we're going to hit her. We're going to kill her, blah, 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 blah. And then she has to take her clothes off and then she has to fill out paperwork. They're like, well, fill out the paperwork. I'm still crying throughout the whole thing. Everybody else is laughing. Everybody else is doing better. I'm still crying like a little bitch. Like I was in the bathroom after the art show. And then they come around to take all of our fingerprints. And then they go to give us this fingerprint. I give them this one. And I give them the fingerprint. 
And then Shara comes up to me and goes, are, are you okay? Like, I know you're a cancer crab and you're emotional about Chatil Mohi, that he get Amy Clooney, but are you okay? Are you about to sink down on us? And then I just like turn my fingers around and I show her which one I fingerprinted with. And she's like, all right, the bitch is good. <laughs> Turns around in German, tells her sister, like that Shotzi, like, so anyways, in German, and it's funny because they have us and in or mixedly, like we're speaking English and German and French and we're like, and they don't know what to do with us. And my cousins and their cousin are just bad shit loco. It's amazing. And then Shagal comes up to me and goes, okay, I've discussed this with all of them. They're going to need to take your pants. You just got to take your pants off. And I'm like, I'm not taking my pants off. They're like, they want it. They're, they're going to take it. I'm like, I'm not giving them my pants. I'm not doing it. And then I look at the door. She's like, the hell are you thinking? I'm like, I'm going to run. She's like, all right, all right, bitch. I, I get that we're all here supporting you and everything, but it's getting to your head. We're still in an underground army base and all of them have guns. You run, they're all going to shoot you. You're not that good of a runner. Even if they're not that good a shot, they're going to get you. It's flat. <laughs> like we're in an underground army base. <laughs> like, Charlotte was like, I got you. I'm the one acting an ass. So they don't, so they leave you alone. But you run, they're going to get you. And I'm like, I'm not taking my pants off. And then she, she turns around. She's like, من بهش گفتم به هر زبونی گفتم به سرش نمیره میخواد بود دوه میخواد بود دوه بره درم دیوار بزنین بکشینش این هم آمریکاییه ما پاس آلمانی داریم سر یه شلوار قرار تو مور کل مملکت رو بکشین پایین حالا شلوار این دختره رو ده میارین ببینید چی میشه so she wow. just losing her ever loving mind so this is in 2007 I might be one of the only people that got to leave without giving them my passport and without taking my pants off. My cousins got me out of there. And I remember when we got to Shunzdametri, uh, we get to my aunt's place. I see my mom. Her eyes are big and bulgy and cryy. And she's just like doing loops right out front of the place. Like she's gotten dressed up. She's downstairs. She doesn't know where to go. She's dressed. She's downstairs. She doesn't know where to go. And we get there and my cousins pull me out. She's like, it's okay. They have her. When you guys go to the airport, they're not going to let her go. We didn't give her their passport, but she still has to go to court and blah, 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 blah. <coughs> so that was my very first experience with the moral police. Wow. And I opened up with that one because that was kind of like a fun SNL skit. Like it was kind of hilarious. The one I talked it, about at the art it, show was yeah. not that kind because it wasn't the moral police. It was... It was, we got literally, the second time, it was not that pretty. The second time was ugly. The second time I almost got yeah. gang raped and murdered in a car with its doors welded shut. And the third place we got to was the underground army base. And they had a morgue. They had a, they had, they had a morgue there. I could hear dead bodies, farting water, metal tables. The second time we got kidnapped, like they were sure they weren't going to let us go. Even the guys that were about to gang rape us in the back of that car with his door welded shut were like, she's here. There's like, no one is ever going to hear from her again. We can do whatever we want to her. And it started with them telling me to tighten my own blindfold. It started with them telling me to hurt myself in order to show that they can like hurt me without putting a hand on me first. So the second time we got kidnapped was way scarier. But I wanted to start with like 
a really yeah. fun loving thing of my cousins in Iran. <laughs> but I mean, it's a it sounded like a fucking horror film with with a, a lucky ending as far as you got you being able to walk because that that my my whole thing with that is um before before you go into the second time which um ladies and gentlemen <clears throat> this one is uh it's not for the uh, faint of heart. So yeah, trigger warning. As, 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 yeah, it sh I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know now. But my, uh, my question about the time between the f you getting away from the first one and second one, how much time elapsed between the two? I got kidnapped by the Islamic Republic, their moral police in 2007. And right. I didn't go back to Iran in 2008. And then I went back in 2009. And in 2006, I had brought my partner of what would have been 23 years this February 26th, but he's no longer with us. The first and only guy I've ever held hands with, the love of my life. I took him to Iran in 2006. And in 2007, when I got arrested in Iran, he got arrested coming back from the border because he drove up to see one of his friends in Canada that he used to play video games with. And on his way back in Montana, they saw that he had a stamp from the Islamic Republic in his passport. And he got arrested at the border crossing Here, Canada in back into America. Wow. Yeah. And he's a six foot four giant white guy. He got arrested crossing into America because he had a stamp from the Islamic Republic from the year before in his passport. So after I got out from being kidnapped by the Islamic Republic, I called Jesse, come to find out that he was arrested at the exact same time on opposite sides of the planet. Wow. So, and they put him in a full orange jumpsuit. They put in the cuffs, the leg things, and the shackles on him. They treated him like a terrorist just because he had been to Iran. So, and when he came back full time- And for, and for the audience members, he was he's a, a white he was a white man American. he's a, a six foot four giant white guy yeah so wow okay man so okay. we got kidnapped so, yeah. on either sides of the planet in 2007 in 2008 neither one of us came to iran but in 2009 i got him another visa and we both came back to iran and that's when we both got scary scary picked up and disappeared like scary like blindfolds hood over our heads heads between our legs in cars with doors welded shut and that 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 was that was a that was and they were very proud of the fact that they were going to kill us and there was nothing anybody could do about it and that no one was going to ever hear from us again so that was that was scary just um just to get a uh timeline of this 2009 that was also the green movement uh the the last major protest um after the sham elections that happened and Neda's killing in 2009 was this around the protests when you went back so speaking of the sham elections uh iran only has five legit television channels and it's mullah mullah soccer game mullah one show and when there's that one show on, everybody goes home and watches that one show. In 2009, Jumun, a South Korean soap opera, was that one show. 
<coughs> and in the middle of the election, people went home to watch Jumung to come back and go vote. Elections hadn't closed yet. This episode was playing where Jumung, the main character, had gotten surren- surrounded in an island. All of the good people were doing nothing. All of the ordinary people were turning away at the situation. And the bad people were creeping in on Jumung and they were about to kill Jumung the star of the South Korean soap opera. And right in the middle of that show, in that commercial break, they were like, Ahmadinejad won. And people are like, what in the actual literal fuck? The polls haven't closed yet. Mm. We, haven't, we haven't even finished voting yet. How are you calling it already? Yeah, so when the show <laughs> ended, people poured onto the street and that was the beginning of the Green Revolution. Now, details on the Green Revolution. Mir Hossein Mousavi is just as much of an asshole as the Ayatollah. Mir Hossein Mousavi was the guy that signed into law when the revolution happened that if women's ankles are showing or hair is showing, you can cut off their like, you know, wrists and things like that. This guy is cousins with the Ayatollah. And the way the Green Revolution started where this guy was like, all right, cuz why don't I tell everyone who disagrees with you, who is my supporter, to wear green and come outside so we know who to kill? This is how it started, and then it got out of hand. I was in Iran with Jesse. I was in the middle of my MA-PhD program at UCLA. I was doing three dissertations and three exams because you're supposed to do one, but I had you have to get assigned off. So I actually went and asked if I could do three and they were like, we, we don't think it's possible, but if you want to, you can. So <clears throat> I was at the time in my aunt's home writing about Eshu, the god of chaos and mayhem. And Mir Hussein Musavi's Facebook page said, you're invited to come to Vanak for a protest. I was a Mir Hossein Musavi supporter at the, at the time because I didn't know the background and I thought somebody was standing up to the Ayatollah. So at that point, even if that somebody was a carrot, I was going to be a carrot supporter. If that person said, wear a unicorn outfit, I was going to wear a unicorn outfit just to be like, fuck the Islamic Republic. It's not cool what they're doing. So I see the invite. I go, all right, I'm going to go. And no one else wants to go with me because everybody knows that's a dumb thing to do. Um, And on TV, they're saying there is a dust storm. I'm like, there is no dust storm. Jesse goes, no, babe, they're saying there's a dust storm because they're saying don't go outside or we'll kill you. I'm like, shut up, white guy. Like, what you know? I'm the Persian one. (laughs) White people are always asking me, where are you from? And I say, West side. I'm Merjan Bayan from the West side. (laughs) And then they go, no, but where are your people from? And I go, I'm Iranian American. So throughout my entire life, all these white people have told me that I have a Persian card. Sorry, white guy, you don't know shit. Like, whatever. Like, I'm the person here. (laughs) You're going to follow me. Meanwhile, Jesse has an IQ of 170, which is 10 points on Einstein. And I'm like, nah, white boy, you don't know what you got. I'm saying it's cool. (laughs) Who you going to listen to? And he's like, all right, this is going to be it's going to be ugly. But, you know, whatever you want to go outside, I'm not going to let you go. Like, I'm going to come with. But, you know, babe, it's going to be ugly. Mm. Um. I was also in 2007, I curated the show in Mocha, Tehran, and the plan was to go back every year and do a solo exhibition for each of the 67 artists. And in 2009, I was starting with Masama Terioka's watercolor paintings done in that for 1970s Japan about 
the AIDS epidemic, women being sold into prostitution, uh, Baskin Robbins and the globalization and all of these topics. I had six or seven topics in these paintings that were taking place in Iran that people weren't allowed to talk about. So I was like, we're going to talk about the AIDS epidemic and women being sold into Arab like slavery and things like that through the 1970s lens of 1970s watercolor paintings done for 1970s Japan. I can talk about these topics that are taboo to talk about in Iran through the lens of art because I'm an artist and bitch, I can do that. Mm-hmm. So I was curating a solo show for Masami Terioka in Venak. So when Masami Terioka, so when Musevi says we have a protest in Venak, I go, all right, we won't even get out of the car. I'm going to take some exterior shots of the protest around the gallery where I'm curating a solo show. I'm just going to go take some like location shots in my head. And I'm like, we're not even going to get out of the car, babe. Don't even worry about it. And we get in the car, we start driving. And as we start driving, I go, Jess, things might get a little Hmm. watch out. Like it might get out, like you might see some shit. We're not going to get out of the car, but you might see some shit. And because I think Jesse was a big guy and he wasn't really afraid, like if he saw someone being bullied or someone being something, he would be the first person to jump out and just grab whoever was like whatevering and be like, dude, like, let's talk. <laughs> like, yeah, let, let, yeah. let, let's break this down. So I was like, babe, you might see some shit and you might feel moved to action and I need you to not. And, you, <laughs> and I was like, and you might get scared. And he was like, I don't get scared. I'm like, you might lose your cool. And we'd been together for God knows how long by a son. And I, 23 years with Jesse. He never lost his calm. He never yelled. He never lost his chill. And I am not a very chill person. I yell, I loud, like, I mean, Jesus Christ. When we met at 15, I was like, I'm a war zone baby. I can't handle loud. I'm going to get loud on the daily. You can't match me. You just can't. The louder I get, like, I'm going to need a hug. And, um, and I might hit you when you try to hug me, but like, you can't, like, you can't, you can't yell at me. You can't do this. You can't do that. And he was like, I don't yell. I'm like, yeah, but you know, I'm special. Like I might drag you to there. And he was like, no, there, it's impossible. It's never going to happen. And 23 years, he never lost his cool. The tone never went higher than this. He had an IQ of 170. He could talk anyone out of anything. So when I'm saying like, if he saw somebody being bullied, it wasn't like he was going to get in there and like, testosterone machismo like get into it with him he would just like get into the situation be like what's the misunderstanding like let's talk it out like what's your your issue let me explain you to you and that person to you he was just really good at seeing the situation and explaining it so I was like you know there's going to be some unexplained shit you might lose your cool you might get scared you might get loud blah 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 and he was like never happened not gonna happen we go we're in the car Trigger, 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 warning. We get pulled out of a moving vehicle. Hell happens. Eshu, the god of mayhem, really, really rains down upon us. I get lockjaw. Yeah. That little bump in my mouth is where I, I got lockjaw and I couldn't open my mouth to release my own inner cheek. That's how scary shit got. I was like throwing up in my own mouth, pissing myself. Like it was not good. We went to three different interrogation sites, one scarier than the other. We were transported in cars, one scarier than the other. Last one had its doors welded shut. 
And and at some point when they treat you like meat, no one looks at you in the eye anymore and you have blindfolds the whole time. And when they take away human eye contact, you just start. It was to the point that at the end, the only thing I was praying for was to make eye contact with somebody before I died. That's all I wanted. That's all I was willing to settle for. I was like, if I get to see Jesse or touch Jesse, great. If not, <clears throat> if I can just look into some human or cat or eyes before I go. And it was and it wasn't looking good. So it was really fucking scary. And I remember it, I don't know when how they, uh, when they <clears throat> pulled you out of the moving van, your feet were bouncing off the the ground. It was right? I would the car was still moving when they opened the side of the cars yeah. to drag me out of it. We were in a cab and like I don't know how much of it I should go into because then I'm gonna start crying like I did. It's up to you. So, yeah, of course. Of um, course, of course. <clears throat> yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. Yeah, it was extremely bad. Every instant of it was bad. If I go to any second of it, it, it was ugly. It wasn't. It wasn't pretty on any level. It was psychopathy at its worst, and it was in the middle of it. And they were the ones that explained to me that, like, basically, they worked for Musavi, and like, like, fuck that. Like, everyone on the street was an undercover person. Not one person was a normal person. All the people wearing green shirts, like they all worked for the government. It was like, it was a collect and kill. It was a shooting fish in a barrel type situation. Everyone on a motorcycle, everyone in a car, everyone on foot. It was a come here so we can kill you. That's So they pulled us out of a moving vehicle because we were the only ones in a cab that weren't working for the government at that time. And when they pulled me out, I think the plan was to just kill me there. And then when they went to pull Jesse out and they saw a six foot four giant white guy, all I heard was Sefid Gunde Khareji. Big white foreigner. <laughs> and right. then they just slammed the door shut. The cab stopped moving. And all these little soldier boys started collecting around the car because they were basically like, oh, like something interesting is happening. And there was this one guy who really wanted to kill Jesse and he had promised Jesse he was going to kill Jesse. He wanted to curb Jesse. He wanted to rape Jesse. This guy really had it for Jesse, um, uh, which is kind of my fault. I It was my fault. Um, so we get to Vanek and there's a bottleneck and there's hella traffic and you can't get there. Like no matter what you're doing, you can't get there. It's just traffic. And then you get to Vanek and then it opens up and everybody else knows enough to not go there. But I forced the cab driver to go there. We go in in the middle of Vanek, there's a little green area. At the time, Iran was saying that they didn't have Maripil uh <clears throat> something uh military, paramilitary police. They said they didn't have them. So when we make the first drive, we see like 30 to 50 of them hiding in the middle. So I go, let's do one more round and let's film them because they're saying they don't exist. Let's film them. Jesse goes, whoa, babe, that's a bad fucking idea. Documenting again. I'm like, white guy, 
All right, boy. Like, who, 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 who is the brown one here? Who is the one that white people are constantly giving her her um, Iranian card? Because growing up next to my old elementary school in West LA, I'm currently in my childhood bedroom. Like when people go, where are you from? And I go West LA and that's not good enough for them. And they go, no, but where are your people from? Like, basically you're too brown and you're too like, you have your face, you can't be American. What are you? Yeah. And I go, um, like, oh, is I Iranian American? They go, oh, Persian. Okay, we have a pigeon box for you. Now you make sense. I had let that shit get to my head. Mm-hmm. I believed all these white people about me being the authority in a country where I didn't know what the fuck was happening. Wow. So this guy who has an IQ of 170 is telling me what I'm about to do is dumb. And I'm like, how dare you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the I'm the West Sider bitch telling you what to do. So I have a camera. I hand him a camera. We're filming on either side. And then it feels like our cat just is an old tin can getting crushed and shook. I just hear dang and then shake. And I look over to Jesse be like, babe, the fuck was that about? And I go to like, look at him. And then I see this guy who's on the back of his friend's motorcycle, this deep in like belly deep into our car. The window is down. He's this far away from Jesse's face. And he's literally foaming from the mouth. I've never seen a human foam from the mouth before. I've seen horses foam from the mouth but I've never seen humans foam from the mouth before. And he's this far away from Jesse's face, spitting and foaming. His eyes are yellow and his shirt is supposed to be white, but his shirt's also yellow, which is making the yellow of the whites of his eyes come out even more. And he's screaming at Jesse about how he's going to like curb him, fuck him up the ass and do this and do that. And I'm hearing words in Farsi that I've never heard before. And Jesse's just like, mm. and I'm like, the fuck is happening? And later I asked Jesse what had happened. Jesse had his hand inside the car. He's filming. This guy grabs Jesse's arm. Jesse thinks he's being robbed. So he drops the camera on his own lap, pulls his arm in more, bringing the guy into it with his other arm, grabs the guy by the curly hair, slams him against our car and shoves him out into the traffic. And the bang against our car was the guy's head and then shoves him out. Wow. And then this guy, he's like the guy that's out there killing people. He hasn't, no one's clapped back before. (laughs) And Jesse's never done that before. Like he's never like, but somebody like grabbed him and then wouldn't let go defended himself and i have the video of that happening from him dropping it on the car because they deleted everything but he had an iq of 170 and he's currently dead running three tech companies my dead guy is currently running three tech companies the people as his companies don't know how the fuck he's doing it my little dead guy is currently running three dead companies so he we come back and he pulls all the videos they had deleted back out so All of that aside. So that was the big bang that I heard to the shake of the car. And then he lets them go. So 
when this guy is, I'm watching this guy and it feels like a movie because my face has never like comprehended anything like that before. And later, Jesse's also like, I'm not worried about it. That guy had jaundice or whatever the hell, like the eye, the yellow in his eyes. If I cared about him, I would tell him to get checked out. I don't think he's alive much longer. And then he was talking about how they may have actually given them something to bring them to that state of mind that was actually killing them. So Jesse had his own theories of what Iran is doing to the people they're using to stick on their own people. Long story short, I'm staring at this unhappening, unable to comprehend it. Then you know how like you have your side of the bed and your partner has their side of the bed. He has his side of the car that is turning into whatever the fuck is happening there. And I'm sitting on my side. And next thing I know, while the car is still moving, the motorcycle is moving. That guy is still in our car. Cab driver doesn't know the fuck what to do. The door on my side opens up and this gust of air comes in. And it felt to me as my as if my side of the car disappeared. That's what it felt like to me. It felt like it no longer existed because they opened the door. Air comes in. It's in the middle of Mordod. So it's hot as fuck. And they open the door. This hot air comes in. I look over, I don't like, there's that part of the car is no longer there. Mm. Next thing I know, a hand comes in, grabs me out, like from here, Mm. from my scarf and my hair, and I'm being pulled out and my feet are touching the hot asphalt while the car is moving and I'm being dragged away. And I'm watching this car come to a slow halt. And all I'm doing is watching the side of the car Jesse's on. And they go, they fling the door open. They, they're slamming on the side of the car. So the car slows down. The car stops. They fling the door open. They go to grab Jesse. And then that's what I hear, a big white foreigner. And then they slam the door shut. They're like, he's too fucking big. Like, what the fuck are we going to do with this guy? And at the time, I think the plan was to kill me because I'm just some brown girl. Like even there, they can see that I'm I could be Persian. Let's mm-hmm. kill her. It doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. But because he was a giant white guy, they decided he was CIA and I was his Persian help. He's a giant child who makes video games. I'm an artist. Yeah. We are not adult enough to wake up at a certain hour, let alone work for anybody. Like no one would hire us. Get the hell out of here. Like I was like, you're giving us way too much fucking credit. (laughs) He works from home. So yeah, and then and then it just gets worse and worse Uh, and worse and worse. And yeah. It's and I'm already getting a headache, which means in five minutes I'm gonna start crying and crashing. Oh my god. But like, yeah, yeah, it, it just got scarier and scarier and scarier and scarier and scarier it just oh. kept getting scarier <laughs> it's it was uh the what you said about the jaundice and 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 jesse's theory about they are giving these uh officers or soldiers whatever they are this uh something to make them do this i think they were orphans a lot of them were orphans oh man yeah i bet yeah 
uh, well, there, it's been proving it's being it's being uh, circulated now during what's happening right now that these uh, security guys are not normal in their in their stance when they're, when they're yeah they're they're putting something in them to get them riled up like they're fucking pack animals like it you know they're I mean at and the end of the day yeah. One of the kids who was driving the car with the door welded shut, who stalled the car like three times, Jesse was helping him drive because Jesse also used to be a mechanic. So like every time he installed the car, Jesse would help him oh going. Which, he was so fucking helpful. They all loved him. They all fell in love with him immediately. And that was Jesse. You, you had 30 seconds with him, you would fall in love with him. So even the people who kidnapped us, at a certain point, people were fighting on who got to hang out with them most. Like he was fucking with them, but they loved him. And uh, and he was paying attention to everything. And he was right. The guy driving the 16 year old who was driving, who didn't know how to drive a stick ship and kept like stalling the car. His ringtone was like the call to prayer and his background on it. Like mine is like the planets and how they're moving. His background was the Ayatollah's picture. Like, that's a lot of fucking brainwashing for a 16-year-old. Yeah. And a lot of them didn't have parents. Like, they lived in that underground army base. Wow. Like, it's not okay what's happening to them either. Right. It's really not. It's multiple layers. I feel for them as much. Yeah, it's multiple layers of tyranny and... and, Fucked up a (laughs) tune. That's the the word. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Man. Yeah, and, you know... As you said, Jesse's is no longer with us, and you know, um, I feel like he kind of is. He's still, you know, like he's so strong. He had such a great influence in your life that. that oh, I talk to him every day. We hang out right. every day. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what a great human being both of you were, are, and continue um, to be in your and. Uh, it's 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 hard to put it into words for some from someone who had a you know i i was on a privileged side of this because i've never you know in a for better or for worse i never went back to iran right i I left when i was a kid and that was the last time i was there and um, it's beautiful it's beautiful i know the country itself is is majestic and it's it has so much to offer um so much history right good history um, beautiful history and <clears throat> for whatever reason like all all the three other members of my immediate family have gone back um and and they visit visited numerous times for whatever reason i me growing up <clears throat> in maryland <clears throat> admittingly i i got i kind of got pushed away from culture to a degree right i i got i i I did, I had like an identity crisis, if you want to call it, like in in my. It's in you though. It's it's in you. It, it, even if it's dormant, I don't think it goes anywhere. It didn't. Well, that's the and I think now in my thirties, I'm reconnected stronger than ever with my Iranian roots because that's you know I'm no longer confused about that. I'm I know who I am, right? And I'm proud of who I am and who where I came from and. um I wear it, you know, I wear, I wear both flags like an armor because yeah. it's, it's, it's who I, I am. Like, and we both came in the same year, you know, to America and, you know, um, uh, and point of all of me saying all this is that, <clears throat> uh, I never 
had to experience the stuff you your you the stories the real stories that you just shared and i appreciate you sharing uh what you shared with with me and with the audience um and i guess i want to bring the episode to a close on this and that is what message do you have now with the current events that are happening in iran and and what's your message to the diaspora that's you know we have it's no secret there's some disagreements right now happening um out uh outside of iran with among about what's next what's supposed to happen and we're losing focus on what hasn't happened yet which is this serious regime getting the fuck out of this country and and paying for all their crimes 44 years almost right so what is what is your message to i guess that was a loaded question but what's your message to to the diaspora and and how you you would want it to go forward in 2012 we worked on a film it's called mosafer traveler i played mariam my friend ali played his character and the film starts and ends at lax it's about a girl who comes here to look for her fiance growing up in the privilege of being a west sider i keep hearing iranians at parties and stuff being like oh it's so sad what's happening in iran and what people are going through meanwhile i just went for the summer and had the best summer of my life it was amazing and there's a lot of people in diaspora that are iranians who go back to iran fake marry poor people who want to have a choice of getting the hell out of iran and then leave them there and this film that we made is mariam she's a girl that is living in a closed off system she gets engaged to the sky who they go through all of the marriage ceremonies except the final one and then he leaves and now she's someone who in that closed system needs her husband's permission to go to school to travel to rent a hotel room to live her life and her husband's a ghost stop fucking ghosting people mm. diaspora mm. it ain't cool mm. stop vacationing in people's pain stop culture vulturing yourselves in a culture that you got to get the fuck out of shit's real there it's not fun it's not pretty and it's not okay what we're doing and this thought of like oh my god i hope iran gets better and they get their freedom can sale dige have to iran jamshin beri mehmuni it's not about your goddamn right to go party at a place people are literally fucking dying it's not cute like they're protesting on top of mass open graves they're not having a revolution so you can go vacation there it's not about us mm-hmm. and iranians don't need a bunch of no nothings who haven't been there forever to go there and now tell them how to live their lives mm-hmm. iran has a whole entire concours program in iran you it's not like the sats or anything else where you could get a 1600 or a 1200 or a 1400 in iran 20 million people could take a test and they'll be the first, second, third and the 20 millionth person. 
the test goes, you were the smartest, you were the second smartest. My cousin, Ali, just got 45th smartest person in Iran, Concord. He was disappointed in himself. I was, I was, I was afraid. I was like, you should have gotten under a hundred, like more than a hundred, just so they won't disappear you or try to recruit you into something. Like you fucked up by being too smart. But if, and when these people fall, Iran has plenty of young, amazing diamonds who have been forged in the bullshit and who know how to undo this mess. Mm -hmm. We do not need 70 year olds who haven't been to Iran (laughs) in 40 years to go tell Iranian people how to live their lives now. This whole cowering here until things get better so you can go party there and tell people what to do. That ain't cool. I, as a West Sider who's been given her Persian card by a bunch of like white people here who've never been to Iran, have no right to have any kind of message for the diamonds in Iran. They have been forged under things beyond my comprehension. I am such a dumbass that every time I show up, I get straight the fuck to trouble. I can't even walk down the street without getting picked up by the moral police or somebody just for being me. I have nothing to say to them other than I'm sorry. But I can tell the diaspora to get your shit together. And I made a whole film about it, too. Like, let's please get our shit together. I'm not saying we need to help them, but we need to stop hurting them. It's not about us. All of these parties I go to now, it's like, oh my God, we can't wait till Iran gets its shit together. We're so used to having fun and having the world revolve around us and our entertainment that we kind of get confused and think that what's happening there is entertaining. (laughs) I think that's why... Last Sunday night, as we were having the best time at the best art show, and I was like, this is so much fun. Oh, my God. We all came together. There was a moment where I was sitting there and I was like, oh, my God, we had so much fun. And I was like, oh, but what's happening in Iran isn't fun. Mm -hmm. The people getting disappeared and murdered, they're not having fun. Oh, shit. Nobody gets to hear from them. I I should go mention that this isn't fun. And then I got up there. I didn't know what I was going to say. I just wanted to be like, thank you for coming out. This was really fun. But just FYI, it's not fun in Iran. And I didn't know how else to say that. You, and I was like, yeah. it's one time I fell into not fun and it wasn't cool. And then I left and I stood in the bathroom and I cried for like three times as long as I took me up there to be like, hey, by the way, you guys, it's not fun over there. It ain't fun is what I would say to the diaspora. And I would mm, lock this, throw it away. I wouldn't dare say shit to people in Iran because they're living under conditions that I can't even comprehend. I have nothing to say. I, I, I do not have the right. I don't have the right, the privilege, and I'm not going to get confused just because a bunch of people have told me that I'm not from the West Side and I'm as Iranian-American. The people who've given me that card have not been there. The people who are living there, if I start telling them advice or what I think about them, that just shows my ignorance of having believed the hype and the bullshit of my own disastrous ignorance here. Yeah. It's not okay what we're doing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny because my podcast is called, uh, be humble. So we got to be a little more humble. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's, um, I've, um, I agree with you. I think, 
I think there's ego involved. There is uh, anxiety involved on 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 this side. On this side, I'm not comparing. I'm not comparing the the feelings of and and the mental health of the diaspora with the people inside Iran. It's not even comparable because we're living a privileged life. At the end of the day, sitting here, we can protest, we can yell, we can we can have this conversation. We can have this conversation. We can do do all of this shit without any repercussion, right? Um, the point of it is is understand that our only role right now as Iranian Americans, Iranian Canadians, Iranian Europeans support system. It's just amplify what they're saying in Iran. Yeah. Amplify their voice. That's it. That's it. That's all we need to do, and 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 do it together because. Eight million strong outside of Iran is hell of a lot of a f- firestorm that the governments have to listen to. Um, the IR wants us to be divided inside of Iran and outside of Iran, and that's the only tool they have to keep us and co- to c- control us. And and divide and, and conquer is a played out book. We yeah. can envision. That. Yeah, united. We have the power to change anything anywhere in the world, in, obviously Iran included. But in the, in my whole thing is just just imagine, and it will happen when Iran and Afghanistan and, and Syria and the Middle East is free, like truly free, free. Um, it's going to be <laughs> my Siri turned on because I said Syria. That's hilarious. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, The corporate but overlords are listening. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> You're not supposed to get that. Get out of here. <laughs> it's not for you, Siri. It is yeah. not for you. This isn't for you. Right. This isn't for uh, you, corporate overlords. But that's perfect, though. That is absolutely perfect. I feel like I am just like baffled by the fact that the world is able to ignore what's happening in Iran so very thoroughly. Even in 2009, Nida was being played mm-hmm. like murder porn on tv over and over again until michael jackson died and it was as if it didn't happen and this time around they didn't even begin to acknowledge it and i think it's because if iranian women can stand up for their rights and be like fuck this stop this that could be ground zero for an epic world global change Mm -hmm. if a virus can bring us to a global pandemic Imagine the power of a global love demic. This is way global bigger than Iran. Feminism. Yeah. This is way bigger than Iran. Yeah. This is huge. And I think that's why everybody's ignoring it. That's why the corporate overlords are ignoring it. That's why other governments are ignoring it. Because I believe what happened in Iran 40 years ago was just a dress rehearsal for what could be happening here. Oh, yeah. During the previous administration, I watched us make the march towards what's happening in Iran for the past four decades, much quicker, much, much quicker. There is a mural of my face on the side of the ACLU headquarters in downtown LA. I was the first person who sued Trump and Mike Kelly. And I got a call from Mike Kelly going like, how much to make you go away? I was like, I don't believe in the cash economy. They're like, what do you mean you don't believe in the cash economy? I'm like, I don't believe in money. It's not real. You guys made it up to control us. It's not real. They're like, well, you know how suing works. Like, why are you suing us? I'm like, because you're on the wrong side of history and you're a bunch of white supremacists and what you're doing isn't right. Mm. And the ACLU 
like stepped in and they talked to them. And I think I got a check for $687 from them just because they needed to do something to make themselves feel better. I framed it, didn't cash it, just framed it. Like, like, I think you got to just stand up to that brand of insanity wherever it is. And I think for the outside countries, it's a lot easier to deal with in Iran because they're dealing with the psychopathy that's running Iran. And the same psychopathy is running every other country. Mm-hmm. Jesse mm-hmm. was able to understand it because he was proficient in swimming in psychopathy waters. Yeah. We live in a world where feelings are used as a weakness to punish people. Mm-hmm. And psychopathy is running wild. Mm-hmm. And when people are standing up to psychopathy, the rest of the world is like, yeah, yeah. Because they don't want to admit that it's happening. Because if it's happening one place, it can happen everywhere. And if people proceed to make a difference in Iran, there might actually be a way that we can come together as a planet and ascend to better places. And the next generation might actually have a hope. And the same thing that I'm saying about not being qualified to have an opinion about what's happening in Iran, I also feel like you and I and generations above us are not fucking qualified to have an opinion about the bullshit that the youth is dealing with. Yeah, yeah. I think a 12-year-old now has a better chance of envisioning a better future mm-hmm. than a 200-year-old. Oh, my God. It's not our planet anymore. No. We need to get the hell out of the way. <laughs> but, yeah, we can only support them at this point. That's all we can do is support because they are the future, whether we like it or not. And, um, and the older... I love the, it. The older heads even are, you know, like they're not relatable. They can't relate to, to, to the younger generation. You and I are, are at an age where it's almost hard for us to relate to the younger generation. We have to really be conscious, right? So it's like, well, for me, I'll speak for myself. I don't know. But, but you know, it's like I'm lucky I have a 16-year-old niece and an 18-year-old niece that remind me of what purity looks like. Pure, pure in intent, pure in, in, in action, pure in, in living, living a pure life, uh, not jaded, right? Um, you can learn from them. That's And exactly I think right. it's our job, it's our generation's job to be the shield that tells the older generation, hey, you've had yes. your fucking turn, stop yes. it. And instead of them handing it on to us, be like, no, no, we're going to be humble about it and hand it to the people who are actually like, yeah, able to do better than us. Yeah. 1000 and the new generation is doing better than us they're doing shadow work they're doing all of this amazingness yeah. they're woke as i'm so proud of <laughs> absolutely, them absolutely i'm so proud of them i just yeah i like i said i look at the young generation the gen z's and i see look when i was 16 i couldn't even tie my shoes and these guys are like you know doing what they're doing at 16 in iran in afghanistan in ukraine crying out loud right against all this tyranny they're just standing up to it in the schools everywhere this this conversation obviously you and i can have it for for a whole day (laughs) and it's still not enough because there's so much to talk about i do want to um make sure we we get attention on your website marjanv.com that's what we have here uh what's what's on the website also if you want to plug any of your socials or whatever you want to share about uh your socials or website please do because um I want people to be able to reach out to you if you're open to that. So, my name is Marjan Vaughan, M-A-R-J-A-N, last name V-A-Y-G-H-A-N. 
I only I'm on all social media. That's the one. I'm not that in, I'm kind of boring. I only friend people I know in real life. Okay. Um, I, my website is hilarious. I made it when I was a child. I started making that website in early, 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 early 2000s when I found out that the internet was a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a whole bunch of conceptual art. It's all political conceptual fine art. And on set, I'm the head of costume and wardrobe in my day gigs. I have a lot of other day gigs. I also have a real estate license because I have this dream of unplugging all of my creative friends from the cash economy. I don't believe it's real. And I think if all creative people had to not worry about rent and mortgage and they could only be creative on creative land, we could really change the world in our own ways. So I have a lot of really wacky, weird dreams. But my website is just all conceptual art. And every time I hand it out on set, people think I'm trolling them because you can't buy anything on it. There's no information on it. Every page you click on is all conceptual, like heady, like fine art. And I've had people inform me that a real website is only one page and it sells you shit. My website is like hundreds of pages of like random art and you can't buy anything off of it. And my thing is, that is what I envisioned the internet to be when I was a child, when I started making my website. Just because websites have turned into something that cater to consumer culture, it doesn't mean I'm going to go back and change what young Merjan thought the future of the internet could be. So it's very bizarre, but, you know, I recommend it. It's it's, it's all about random and, art from all over the world. Yeah, it's you and it's and that's what's beautiful about it. It's you and it's unapologetically you and that's what I love about talking to you and about learning from about you and from you. Um you're an inspiration. Continue being Marjan uh and continue to uh, continue to be woman like freedom because that's literally you 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 embody it. And and um Sense- one thousand percent. This has been episode ninety six. Uh, couldn't ask for a better guest. Um, I'm honored to have known you, um, to have met you. I'm, uh, I look forward to learning more from your posts, from your website. I'm gonna go check it out myself. And <laughs> uh, thanks for joining me on this episode. I'm Pejna Maniac. Make sure you subscribe. Fumble Podcast on YouTube. You can listen to this episode anywhere uh, you take in your podcast. And it has video on Spotify and YouTube. Uh, I'm Pleasure Maniac. I'll catch you guys on the next one. Thank you, Maja. Happy 96. <laughs> Happy 96.